0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in Revelation chapter 9. I'm going to do verses 9, verses 1 through 12, which describes the fifth trumpet. You recall our scheme in Revelation. We have seven seals that only the Lamb could break. The seals were on a testament. The testament contained a bequeath, a a legacy, a bequeathing of the new covenant to the church. Most of the seals were judgments. And then we get to the seventh seal, and it's seven more trumpets coming out of the seventh seal. And the first four trumpets were judgments. The first trumpet was hail and fire mixed with blood, burning up the green grass of the land and the trees. The second trumpet was a great mountain burning with fire, standing for Israel on fire, being judged. And then as Israel was destroyed, a third of the sea became blood. And then we got to the third Angel, great star star falling from heaven like a torch. That was Babylon standing for Jerusalem, which is the new Babylon, which is being destroyed because it's burning like a torch, standing for judgment. And when it destroyed, it made a third of the waters bitter, even as the old Babylon made Israel bitter. The fourth trumpet sounded, and now we have typical decreation rhetoric, lights out rhetoric, third of the sun, third of the moon, third of the stars, quit burning, were darkened. And now we go to Romans 9, and in Romans 9, we'll have the fifth trumpet, which will continue the theme of judgment on apostate Israel. Revelation nine one. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the land, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Now this fallen star is a different fallen star, which we described in chapter 8, Revelation Verses 10 through 11, which is the third trumpet, that was Babylon. Do you recall the Babylon, which fell from heaven, stands for apostate Israel. This star is Satan. This is easy symbolism. We can see scriptures which showing a fallen star. Luke 10:18, a fallen star referring to Satan. Luke 10:18, and he said to them, "I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning." That was when Jesus sent his disciples out on their missionary trip, and they started casting demons out. Revelation 12:4 and his tail, that's the devil's tail, through the third part of the stars of heaven, and he cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman. So they would have stars associated, at least, with the dragon, who's the devil. Revelation 12:9 and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth thrown down from his position of authority in heaven revelation 12:12. 12, 12, therefore rejoice ye heavens and you that dwell in them woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for that devil has come down unto you the devil's thrown down so we see the star which had fallen to the earth of being thrown down to the earth but we're not finished or to the land we're not finished yet because the key of the bottomless pit was given to him this is more evidence that this fifth this uh, fifth trumpet which heralded a star coming from heaven that that star was the devil because the key of the bottomless pit was given to him, Well, what's the bottomless pit that of course is hell in a, in a short word. Here's its usage in scripture. it was the now what I'm going to do is give you a list of places where abyss or bottomless pit is used in the scripture. I'm not going to read the scriptures to you. It'll take too long, but this is just a, a list that David Chilton came up with. It's the original abyss that the Holy Spirit hovered over in Genesis. It's the farthest extreme from heaven. It's the farthest extreme from high mountains. It's the deepest parts of the sea. It refers to subterranean rivers and pools. The Red Sea, through which the Israelites crossed, was referred to as the abyss. Uh, Going into the abyss is said to be excommunication from God's temple and God's presence. The abyss is said to be the domain of the dragon. It is said to be the prison of demons. Ezekiel says that floodwaters from the abyss under Tyre would be brought up to flood the city of Tyre. So basically it means hell where the demons live. Chilton says apostate Israel is to be cast out of God's presence, excommunicated from the temple, and filled with demons. One of the central messages of Revelation is that the church tabernacles in heaven. The corollary of this is that the false church tabernacles in hell. Ooh, that's a great, great quote. So the abyss, or the deep, or the bottomless pit, that's hell. And then this star, Satan, was given the pit, a key to this, to this pit. Now, the devil has now got the key, but it's only because God gave it to him. The evil he does on earth is only at the permission of God. Now, it doesn't directly say that, the, that God gave him the key. It could have been the angel that gave him the key, the angel that's sounding the fifth trumpet. Well, yeah, maybe, but let's just say that somehow through God's work, The devil ends up with a key so that the devil can loose destruction and judgment upon Israel. Now, Bruce Gore has pointed out that in the ancient cosmology of the Israelites, they pictured the earth as a flat disk and below it was the abyss where the demons lived and there was a shaft coming out from that pit, that abyss, that bottomless pit, and that shaft was where the demons came up to the earth so they could do damage to human beings, but the top of that shaft was plugged by the temple. Well, when worship stopped in the temple, and when the temple ceased to function as it should, then the plug became loose and became ineffective, and the demons get, could get past that temple plug and then get out into the earth. So perhaps Jesus is using that metaphor here when he talks about the abyss. Maybe that's what, that's maybe the way a Jewish reader would have would have taken that. We go to verse. 2 in Revelation 9. He, that's the devil with the key, opened the bottomless pit. He opened it with with his key. Smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now, Satan, by opening up the bottomless pit here, is fulfilling Jesus's prophecy. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verses 41 through 45, the following, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation. Now, this generation is the term that Jesus often applied to the apostate Jews who were going to kill him, especially in Matthew 23. I think he uses it a lot, but he uses it all over the place. So Jesus says the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. That's Jonah. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for she came from the uttermost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of solomon and behold a greater than solomon is here aye right. now here's the judgment on this wicked generation verse 43 when the of matthew 12 when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man he walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none then he says i will return unto my house from whence i came out and when he is come he finds it empty swept and garnished then he goes takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter in and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation now there's another place where an individual i think had demons that were cast out and he and you can use those verses for demonology if you want but that's not what jesus's main point was here he was saying israel had all their demons swept out of the nation because of jesus's ministry but then when Jesus left, and then when he comes back, Jesus is going to find the house, or excuse me, when the demons come back, they're going to find the house empty because there's no righteousness in there, just pharisaical garbage. And so the demons say, well, this place is ripe for taking. They're going to bring other demons in, seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they come in, and then the last state of Israel is worse than the first state before Jesus came. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So Jesus is saying, look, you guys, I came and cleaned the demons out of Israel, ready to set up your kingdom, and now you killed me. And so now your state's going to be worse than the first. And so the demons are going to fill up Israel. And this is what Revelation 9-2 is saying. The smoke comes out of the pit. Those are demons coming out of hell to wreak damage on Israel. In fact, we read in Revelation 18:2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the Great is fallen is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils. Now, Babylon the Great, of course, is, is Israel. We'll get into that identification more clearly later on when we get further on into the book of Revelation, but take my word for it right now. Babylon the Great is apostate Israel. It's fallen and has become the habitation of devils, or demons, and the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Is what Chilton says about the possession of the nation of Israel by demons out of the abyss. Quote, The loss of all ability to reason, the frenzied mobs attacking one another, the deluded multitudes following after the most transparently false prophets, the crazed and desperate chase after food, the mass murders, executions, and suicides, the fathers slaughtering their own families, and the mothers eating their own children. Satan and the host of hell simply swarmed through the land of Israel and consumed the apostates. Great way to describe the end of Israel. Now, there was smoke coming out of the abyss, and out of the smoke came some locusts, which we'll see later. That's, it's appropriate that smoke is coming out of hell because it chokes, it blinds, and it suffocates people's minds, as Bruce Gore says. In the ancient world, people would build large fires in the path of the advance of the locusts to try to stop the locusts, as Bruce Gore points out. So it would appear that locusts would come out of the smoke. As you're trying to stop the locusts, you're looking at the smoke and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the locusts are flying through. Revelation 9, 3. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the land, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the land have power. Now the locusts are demons. We know it's demons. We read in Luke 10:19, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. scorpions we know serpents are a classic symbol for demons scorpions are too because jesus continues here and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you well who's the enemy that's jesus by the way these are not cobra helicopters for all you tim LaHaye fans out there uh-uh has nothing to do with that now locusts in the old testament stand for an irresistible plague everything is stripped bare when the locusts come we read, for example, in Nahum 3.15, The fire will devour you there. The sword will cut you down. It will devour you like the young locust. Multiply yourselves like the young locust. Multiply like the swarming locust. In other words, bye-bye. If you get attacked by a swarm of locusts, they're going to strip you bare. There's going to be nothing left. Joel 2.25 I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust ate, the young locust, the destroying locust, and the devouring locust." My great army that I sent against you, so they're a locust co- are likened unto an invading enemy army. All right, so the demons are scorpions. Scorpions are demons. Easy symbolism. Now, it's interesting that scorpions will not kill you. They'll make you miserable and they'll hurt like crazy, but they won't kill you. Because we're still talking about preliminary judgment in the trumpet judgments. It's not until we get to the bold judgments that we get to ultimate destruction and judgment. And somewhere, some dictionary, I didn't write it down, says, quote, In hot climates, the sting of a scorpion often occasions much suffering and alarming symptoms, which is bad. It torments you, but doesn't kill you. Now we go to Revelation 9, verse 4. They, these demons, coming out of the smoke of the pit of the abyss, they were told not to hurt the grass of the land, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, Why were they told not to hurt any green thing or any tree? Well, this is my opinion. I didn't read this anywhere. You can take it with a grain of salt, but I think it's because there was no need to eat those things because they were already one-third destroyed at the sound of the first trumpet. Here's what the first trumpet said, Revelation 8, 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the land was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass were burned up. So here we have the trees and the green grass burn up and Jesus says to the devil, don't burn up the trees and the green grass. Only a certain category of men do I want you to hurt. Only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Well, what does that refer to? That refers to the 144,000 believers who were protected from the judgment on Israel as we read about in Revelation 7, 3 through 8. They were sealed with, the forehead, uh, they were sealed with a seal that was on their forehead. And a seal showed protection and ownership. God owns the Christians, and he's going to protect them. And so here's an example of it right here. The demons are coming out all over the land of Israel, but they're not going to touch Christians. A great application for those of you who are scared of demons. Uh Uh-uh. Demons don't hurt us. We're not afraid of demons. The demons are afraid of us. So that's why the natural grass and the trees weren't harmed is because the the mint, the demons had special object, a special mission, is to torment human beings in Israel. Revelation 9, 5, and they, the demons, the locust demons, they were not permitted to kill anyone. Remember, scorpions don't kill, they just torment. They were not permitted to kill anyone but to torment for five months, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. See, a scorpion will torment you, but it will not kill you. Now, again, the judgments are going to intensify as we move towards the bold judgment, But we're not there yet. So now just bad stuff's happening on the land. And it was for five months. Now, there are several options for these five months. Now, some of the options just have to do with the natural characteristics of locusts. For example, there's a period of five months between May and September when locusts usually appeared in the land of Israel. And so maybe John is just mentioning that, hey, just like locusts torment for five months, you're going to be tormented. But he doesn't really mean to say that it's five months that you're going to be tormented. It's just he's just referring to the locusts who normally come to torment for five months. now, the problem with that is it says right here in revelation nine five they were not permitted to kill but to torment they were permitted to torment for five months, so that sounds like it's on the ground, not just with locust in general, by habit, but actually in Israel, there was going to be a period of five months of torment. We'll look at those options in just a minute. another Possible natural explanation is a reference to the typical length of a locust plague, which usually lasted about five months. And so maybe John wasn't really trying to say that there was going to be five months of torment in Israel, but he's just referring to what locusts normally do. When they do it, the particular five months they do it, and for how long they do it five months. Well there's some other options though. I'm going to give you the two options I think are the best. Well I'm going to give you two options which Orthodox preterists usually use, I'm going to give you which one of those options I think is the best. Here's the first option. Cassius Florus, who was the Roman procurator of Judea between May and September of 66 AD, he terrorized the Jews to incite them to rebellion. I don't have this in my notes. Let me see if I can go by memory. There was somebody, a Jewish guy in Caesarea who was offended because a Greek guy sacrificed an animal in front of his synagogue or something like that. Unclean animal, got the Jewish guy all upset he wanted to take him to court in Jerusalem. He paid nine talents, I think it was, to get his case heard, that's a lot of money. And Justice Flour says too bad you lose. Well that ticked him off. And he also stole money from the Temple Treasury. He also slaughtered thirty six hundred peaceful Jewish citizens, which was the worst thing he did. And Josephus says Ah, that's when the Jewish war started, right there in May of sixty six, and that's where you get your three and a half years. Half of sixty six, sixty seven, sixty eight, sixty nine, 67, 68, 69, and in part of 70. I said the Jews paid nine talents to hear the case. It was eight talents. He not only refused to hear the case, this is the case where the bird was sacrificed in front of a synagogue in Caesarea, making the synagogue unclean. Not only did Flores refuse to hear that case, he then imprisoned the Jewish petitioners, adding insult to injury. And he stole 17 talents from the temple, said it was for Caesar. Oh, my gosh. There's no one of the Jewish population up uh, rebelled against that. All right, that could be five months of torment and the run-up to the destruction of Israel. Another option is it refers to the last five months, not the first five months, but the last five months of the Jewish war. That would be April through August of 70 A.D. This is both Bruce Gores and David Chilton's suggestion. Here is Chilton's quote. The entire generation became increasingly demon-possessed. Their progressive national insanity is apparent as one reads through the New Testament, and its horrifying final stages are depicted in the pages of Josephus' The Jewish War. The loss of all ability to reason, the frenzied mobs attacking one another, the deluded multitudes following after the most transparently false prophets, the crazed and desperate chase after food, the mass murders, executions, and suicides, the fathers slaughtering their own families, and the mothers eating their own children, Satan and the hosts of hell, simply swarmed throughout the land of Israel for five months. And then, boom, it, Israel was gone. I tend to say it's the last five months when they were tormented. They weren't destroyed yet, but they were being tormented. I think that's better than the first five months under Jesse's floors. We go now to Revelation 9, verse 6, that in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. Now, Jesus specifically prophesied this longing for death among the final generation of Jerusalem. Luke 23, verses 27 through 30. But Jesus turning unto them said, and this is when, when um, Jesus is on the Via Dolorosa taking his cross to be crucified. Jesus turned unto them, saying, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps, the breast, which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us, seeking death. You know, if you ask a mountain to fall on you, you're basically saying, I want to die. Said those days men will seek death and will not find it. Here's another quote from Revelation 6 verses 15 and 16. Then the kings of the land or the rulers of the land and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. And so these people who are begging mountains to fall on themselves and notice how Jesus said it. He was quoting an Old Testament prophecy, which unfortunately I don't have in front of me here. And then John quoted Jesus Seeking death, and can't find it. You know, people can get very miserable before they try to kill themselves. Here's some Old Testament scriptures about people wanting to die. Job 3, verses 20 through 21. Why is light given to one burdened with grief, and life to those whose existence is bitter, who wait for death but it does not come? And search for it more than for hidden treasure, trying to die. Don't You think, well, why don't they just kill themselves? That's easier said than done. Jeremiah eight three. Not only psychologically, but practically how do you do it? Jeremiah eight three, death will be chosen over life by all the survivors of this evil family, those who remain wherever I have banished them. Death will be chosen over life. People will choose to die. Seeking death. Things have got to be real, real bad before you do that. And that was the point. Things were going to get real bad for Israel. Revelation nine seven, the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to battle. Now, the appearance of the locust. Now, there's a couple things that that bounce back and forth in my mind when I try to interpret these things, this passage. Was John trying to just describe what the lo- locusts looked like in his vision? Option number one or option number two, was he trying to describe what the demons were going to do to Jerusalem? Or maybe it's a little of both. Well, let me give you a quote from an Arab source quoted by Bruce Gore, which favors the option that John is just describing what the locusts looked like. Here's the Arab description: in head like a horse and breast like a lion, and feet like the camel, and body like the serpent, and tail like the scorpion. In an antenna like the virgin's hair. Now, these other descriptions don't really match John's descriptions, except for that one phrase, "in an antenna like the virgin's hair. So, apparently locusts, and I'm not a locust expert, never really seen one, they have antenna that look like hair, like the virgin's hair. These, these Arabs are fascinated by virginity and virgins. John says in Revelation, it says they had hair like the hair of women, and that would refer to the anten- antenna. So, if you look at all these descriptions, it could be just describing what a locust looked like naturally and using poetic language. The breastplates could be the hard shell under their on their chest and so forth. But now it the mention the description of these locusts could describe what's going to happen to the Jews, what their actions are going to be rather than just their appearance. First of all, they were like horses prepared for battle in verse eight. The appearance of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. That could stand for an overwhelming attack force. Locusts are are compared in the Old Testament with horses, war horses. Job 39 verses 19 through 20. Do you give strength to the horse? Do you adorn his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? So there's a good comparison of a locust and a horse. His proud snorting fills one with terror. So horses are like locusts. Joel 2 verses 3 through 5. A fire devours in front of them and behind them a flame blazes the land in front of them is like the garden of eden but behind them it is like a desert wasteland there is no escape from them their appearance is like that of horses and they gallop like war horses there's another comparison of locusts with horses war horses they bound on the tops of the mountains their sound is like the sound of chariots like the sound of fiery flames consuming stubble like a mighty army deployed for war and this of course is the bad guys coming after Judah. Okay, so horses are compared to horse, and locusts are compared to horses prepared for battle. They have crowns, which means they're going to rule Jerusalem. They're going to be in charge. They had faces of men, which showed that they were intelligent enough to do a lot of damage. It even could suggest that the demons have human agents that they're working behind, that they're working to control in order to carry out their nefarious purposes. They had teeth of lions because they'll rip the apostate Jews up. They had breastplates of iron that were so powerful that the demons could not be killed. And the sound they made was like a sound of chariots, many horses rushing to battle. You can imagine a swarm of locusts flapping their wings. Boo! I can hear it now. Basically, the demons are going to make short work of Israel, is what this passage is telling us. Now, the hair of women has led some people to quote Josephus, a particular passage in Josephus to show, or to advocate for the position that John is predicting certain bad behavior inside of Jerusalem. Now, I don't really believe this. I don't think so, but everybody quotes, at least Orthodox preterists do. So let me read what Josephus said in Book 4, Section 9, Paragraph 10. Quote, again, we're looking for people with effeminate practices because we're trying to tie this to the locust having hair like women. Here's Josephus, quote, With their insatiable hunger for loot, they ransacked the houses of the wealthy, murdered men, and violated women for sport. They drank their spoils with blood, and from mere satiety, they shamelessly gave themselves up to effeminate practices, plaiting their hair and putting on women's clothes, drenching themselves with perfumes and painting their eyelids to make themselves attractive. Got a little transvestism going here. They copied not merely the dress, but also the passions of women. Hmm, Maybe a little transsexuality going on here. Devising in their excess of licentiousness unlawful pleasures in which they wallowed as in a brothel. Thus they entirely polluted the city with their foul practices. Yet though they wore women's faces, their hands were murderous. They would approach with mincing steps, then suddenly become fighting men and whipping out their swords from under their dyed cloaks. They would run through every passerby. Teach you to mess with prostitutes doesn't, wouldn't it? Well anyway, people say that this these transsexual or transvestite zealots or whoever they were, bad guys in Jerusalem killing people could refer to the could correspond to the hair like women on these locusts. I think that's a stretch in my humble opinion, so I'm not going to advocate that, but I would thought i thought I did think I would mention it to you. We go now to verse 10 verses 10, 11, and 12. They, again, talking about these demons, these demons, these locusts that have come out of the, the smoke. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two wolves are still coming after these things. All right, we start off. They have tails like scorpions. That's, of course, where the scorpion stings you with. Well, that's where it says in their tails is their power to hurt men. That's because that's where scorpions sting you. They sting you with their tail. I've already mentioned the five months, either the first five months of the war under, when Jesseus Forrest persecuted the Jews or in the last five months when first Vespasian and then Titus besieged Jerusalem and finally destroyed it. They have his king over them, the angel of the abyss. Well, who is that but Satan himself, the angel of the abyss? And how do we know that? Well, his name is in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon, which means destroyer. So this is the devil. And this is one more indication. The locusts are demons because the devil's in charge of them. He lets them loose on the land. The locusts, by the way, are not Blackhawk helico- Black helicopters, all you Tim LaHaye and Hal Lindsey fans. No. These are descriptions of locusts, which stand for the de- for demons, not black-off helicopters. Now, the fact that John mentions the name of the devil in Hebrew being Abaddon, this is one of the many indications of the essentially Hebraic captor- character of Revelation. As R.H. Charles, the famous commentator, wrote in 1920 in his two-volume work on the book of Revelation. Now, in verse 12, John says the first woe is past, the first Woe is the fifth trumpet. So the way we have here is the seventh seal is seven trumpets. The first four trumpets are four trumpets. And then the last three trumpets are three woes. Woe number one, woe number two, and woe number three. And then the last woe, which is the seventh trumpet, is the seven seals. It all fits together nicely. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm finished with Revelation 9 verses 1 through 12. The fifth seal. In our next audio, we will... Consider Revelation 9, verses 13 through 21, which describes the sixth trumpet. And I just said that we finished talking about the fifth seal. No, we finished talking about the fifth trumpet. And next video, we'll talk about the sixth trumpet. Hope you stay tuned for that one and hope you enjoyed this one.